the Rethinking Leadership podcast. I'm Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature, and in this podcast, I interview leaders on their experiences of leading change, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. I'm interested in exploring how we lead disruptive change in a way that has a positive benefit for employees, business, and society. In other words, how do we be more human and relational in our leadership and make a difference? This week's guest has some great tips on leading teams in a more collaborative and relational way. More on that in a moment, but if you'd like more information on leading teams through fast-paced change, you can download a report from my website at www.jude.team. Sarah Foster is the Managing Director of Comply Direct, an environmental consultancy and compliance business. Sarah is also the author of Yabba Dabba Do It, a book on self-confidence. She shares her three steps to self-confidence, prepare, do and review. We also talk about the environment, of course, because that's her business. But we also discuss relationships, emotional intelligence, boundaries and so much more. Have a listen. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Jude. Um, Can you tell us who you are and what you do, please? Yes, my name's Sarah Foster, and I'm the Managing Director of an Environmental Consultancy and Producer Compliance Scheme based in Skipton called Comply Direct. I'm also a keen writer, and in 2020, I authored my first book, which is all centred around confidence. So congratulations, firstly, on your, on your book. Um, tell me more about Comply Direct, because... At the moment, we've just we're just coming out of the end of COP26. So I'm I'm guessing that your organisation has been glued to wondering what's going to come out of that. So tell us a bit more about what your organisation does and how you work. Absolutely. Yeah. So we were formed in 2006 and predominantly in, in the early days, we helped businesses navigate producer responsibility legislation. So these are regulations that apply to businesses of of certain sizes who carry out certain activities, all really under the waste and resources sector. So diverting packaging waste from landfill and electrical waste from landfill and and batteries, that kind of thing. Um, But as the business has has grown and as as the world's evolved, really, and the way that we consume in society has evolved, we've also developed other services all under the environmental banner to help businesses not only deal with their legal obligations, the mandatory obligations that they have under waste and resources, but also to help them with their aspirations and the things that they would like to achieve as a business to enable them to to, to become more sustainable really and to serve the the consumers, the public against growing demand for businesses to to do the right thing environmentally and, and ethically. And from a from a leadership point of view, do you think it requires us to lead in a different way to to pay attention to sustainability or or does it or is it just another list of stuff to do, albeit very important stuff? But is it does it require a different type of leadership? I think it does. I think you have to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. Um, so I'm quite passionate about the, the environment anyway, but I think as, as the leader of an environmental consultancy, 
upon which businesses are, are looking for inspiration, it's important that I do everything that I can as a leader of, of that business, you know, to do the right thing environmentally. So I drive an electric car. Um, in the last couple of years, I've reduced my intake of, of meat. And whilst I don't preach that to anyone or expect anyone to do the same by visibly taking those steps, which actually have been positive for me, you know, there's been a cost benefit of not putting fuel in my car and particularly in, in recent months, you know, we're recording this in, in November 2021 on the back of recent fuel shortages where people were struggling to, to fill up the tank. So it's been a positive experience for me financially and logistically to have made those decisions. Um, so I do think you have to sort of put your money where your mouth is a little bit more to inspire others to make that change and see the positive outcomes that can come from it. And where do you get your inspiration from? Oh, there's a, a wealth of, of inspiration out there, isn't there? So um, I, I, fo I follow people on LinkedIn and other sort of social media platforms and keep track of what they're doing. I get inspiration internally from our team as well, because I work with a team of passionate individuals who also quite like doing the right thing environmentally and we, we bring about our ideas into the workplace um, take inspiration from my children I've got two two children one in, in young adulthood and one one teenager who are very sort of tuned in to the future of the planet you know and, and us being custodians of the planet so I take inspiration from the younger generation as well and the things that they feed back to me um, and I think it, you know it, it's everywhere isn't it so it's just keeping your eyes open and trying new things and and also looking for the evidence-based research as well because there is a lot of greenwashing and there is a lot of information and statements that are put out there which perhaps if you dig a little bit deeper you know they're, they're perhaps not <laughs> what what they originally claim to be so I mm. think being that philosopher and just keeping questioning, you know, and, and keeping asking the questions in order to, to arrive at, well, what is the, the right path? What, what is the best thing that I can do in the constraints that I've got? And that's a really, it's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because coming, I don't know, are we coming out of a pandemic? I don't know if we are or not, but living, let's say living with, living with a pandemic. I think one of the things that we've all learned is that everything is, uncertain um and that requires us i mean i love i love what you said about being a philosopher and being curious and always questioning do you, do you think those are skills that we developed as a result of the pandemic do you think those are skills that are going to be needed more in the future because there is this you know there is this desire to have ev evidence that demonstrates, you know, what we should or shouldn't be doing. But actually, it's so difficult to pick through the evidence, isn't it? It is. It is. And we're almost in an age of information overload now, aren't we, where it, there is there's so much at our fingertips. No longer do you go to the library to research something. You know, it takes you a few minutes on um, on your smartphone to do that. But I think that that question really links back to the inspiration for, for the book that I wrote, Yabba Dabba Do It, which is all about harnessing your, your inner confidence. And I think that curiosity links to your inner confidence and being brave enough to ask those questions, but also being brave enough to say, actually, you know, this was my mindset 
previously and now it's it's changed and that's okay because we're evolving and, and it's all it links into the growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset and I think if we look at the definition of, of confidence it's the feeling or belief that you can rely on or have faith in something and when we think about the last couple of years not only the the pandemic um, but also the way in which the working world has changed the, the people who've been in power across the world things that are happening with climate change as you just mentioned you know we're living in a world where every day change is is prevalent and by increasing our levels of confidence I think we're better equipped to deal with that and and have that faith and rely on something even though things perhaps don't meet our expectations anymore or things don't pan out exactly how we expect them to be. Yeah, and I think I think there's something really important around having the inner confidence that you can lead through uncertainty without having all of the answers, without, you know, the, the days of the leader being the one that knows the most are, are so long gone, although in many ways we still behave as though we should be the one that knows the most. And in yeah. reality, leadership requires so much more of us than that. Um, Tell, tell me a bit more about what inspired you to write the book on, on confidence. Well, I, I the book's probably been in me for, for many years. And from a very young age, I was labelled confident. So people used to say to my mum, I'm, I'm one of two girls, and people used to say to my mum, oh, Sarah's the confident one, isn't she? And, and Rachel's not. So I was labelled that. And I firmly believe it, that I'm no different to, to Rachel in terms of the um, attributes that I was born with to be confident but because I was labeled that I conformed to that so so I believe that b- because people called me confident I then created a framework internally to bring that about every time it was needed and it's it's got me where I am today you know managing director of a very successful environmental consultancy business um, and, and many other accolades along the way as well you know it's, it's inspired me to get get me to where I am and I've kind of observed I think watching my children grow up and seeing them grow up in an age of social media where there's a lot of comparison and they're constantly having to sort of put on a show um, it, it made me feel like we had a bit of a confidence epidemic, if I'm honest. So I just wanted to share this very simple framework, which is a three three practices, three steps, prepare, do, review, all as important as, as one another that can help you harness inner confidence. I believe in any situation, be it, you know, from giving a talk in front of 10,000 people to um, asking someone out to come to lunch with you and, and everything in between. Or even asking for directions in the car. <laughs> Correct. Yep. <laughs> so, so just talk me through those three steps. Then prepare, do, review. Just talk me through each one in a bit more detail. Yeah. So prepare is all about getting ready and visualization and really setting yourself up for success. So my stepdad, who, who's no longer with us, used to very often say to me, Sarah. Um, if you fail to prepare, you'll prepare to fail. Um, and that stuck with me from, from a very young age. He used to say that to me. And, and I think there's, there's a lot of truth in that. I think there's only so much winging it you can do. And I think com- competence builds confidence. So the prepare is all about 
using every tool that works for you to set yourself up for success. Visualization is something that I use and that works for me. I know people who use journaling and use affirmations. So there's a lot of holistic kind of techniques that are brought into the prepare phase, as well as the technical preparation. You know, if you're giving, if you're giving a speech, learn your speech, record yourself into a into your smartphone or into a dictaphone, listen to it back, see how it lands. So there's there's the two elements of preparation, um, which take the longest in time and involve quite a lot of being kind to yourself. And there's a, there's a chapter in the book in that bit called Be Your Own Bestie, which is about preparation um, mentally, really, because we have a lot of internal chatter that sometimes hinders our ability to prepare effectively because we talk ourselves out of things before we even give it a go. Um, and, and then moving on to the do. So the preparing is time consuming and goes into a lot of detail of various techniques you can pick and, and choose from the toolbox in the book. It's the, it's the longest part of the book. Do is probably the hardest bit because that is sometimes once you've done your preparation, you do just have to take that leap and just do it. And it doesn't have to be big grand gestures of just doing things, but it does have to be regular, consistent steps towards where you want to be Mm -hmm. um, and making a commitment to yourself that, you know, you will ask that question, what is the worst that can happen? And the way that our brain works, as as you know, Jude, you know, it's wired to keep us safe and it's alerting us to these dangers all the time, which is um, which is great and and is necessary. and, And we need that as humans to make sure, you know, we're not walking blindly into situations that are going to cause us severe danger and harm but I think that is the the brain is wired that way from prehistoric times and the dangers of today are very different but I think I think we can still sort of allow ourselves to be held back through that false perception of danger so we need to constantly ask what's the worst that can happen and keep asking it and actually if the worst that can happen is we might feel a little bit embarrassed or we might not get it right first time that's not enough not to do it so we have to make that commitment um to just count down and and say go we're going to have a go and then the review is really important because this is what builds that competence that we talked about at the start so by we, we live in a world now that is just full of data you know data's more valuable than precious metals as as we live in in 2021 and we have our own internal systems for processing data which we often ignore and don't devote enough time to so by reviewing and reviewing our performance against things and reviewing the things that we've tried and all of the techniques that I've I've just discussed and how well we fared in different situations that gives us very valuable data then for the next time we try to be an even better version so it's a it's a journey really and, and utilizing your own internal data um, to help you the next time a situation is brought about where you have a lack of confidence is, is so very valuable but we need to be aware of it in order for it to be valuable and it's and it's iterative isn't it because I think if you if you do something that's out of your out of your comfort zone and you are and it and it works and you're successful it gives you the confidence to to try the next step doesn't it and the next step and and I think the more that you are successful and and in stepping out of your comfort zone the more you can flex that muscle and build it further but I think there's also something here around the resilience of when it doesn't quite go according to plan to 
to and I guess your review piece is the bit that that looks at that and says okay so why didn't it go according to plan and what could we do differently and how how do you find that that helps you build the confidence well I think you know if we use a real life example Hmm. and and use comply direct you know we're a team of of highly skilled and and ambitious individuals but we're realistic enough to know that and and we've grown and and we get great feedback from customers we're award-winning but we're realistic to know that sometimes we will try things out and they and they won't work out (laughs) as we plan them or sometimes we, we will get decisions wrong and the important thing is is that you learn from them um so we have task forces within comply direct who are tasked with um driving new initiatives and innovation and and within the the task forces we do have a very participative culture in decision making so um a task force member might be a, a junior member of staff that actually leads that task force to make a particular decision and and we will empower that person and they'll have the full backing of the entire business and the senior management team it's about empowering them to make calculated decisions and then when those don't pan out as as we intended we're honest about that and we say we tried and all of the background and the preparation we did said that this was going to work out this way but it didn't and and we've learned from that and we empower people at comply direct to think like a business owner which gives them that extra bit of autonomy if you like and no one will ever be ostracized there's no blame culture if if something doesn't pan out as we envisaged it would then it's the whole team that take that on the on the chin collectively regardless of who was involved in that particular project because it's that holistic team approach and do you think um as a result of the pandemic we've we've all had to adapt haven't we to a completely different way of working your you're right at the forefront of your business is all about preventing or minimizing climate change. Do you think that it requires us to lead in a different way? I I think it requires us to continually reflect, which links into that review. And And that's tricky, isn't it? Because not many people have got time to reflect. (laughs) Well, no, wouldn't it be great if we were all sat with our feet, feet up on the desk reflecting? Um, but, but I do think we all have the same 24 hours in, in a day. And, and I do think it's important to carve out time to reflect. It might not be sort of all day, every day, but at least maybe once a week, you can put an hour in your diary to have some downtime and just reflect on successes and and development areas that have happened within that particular week and better still you know brainstorm them with the team a little bit and and share that and normalize normalize talking about what's happened and what's gone well and what hasn't gone well it's interesting because one of the things that a lot of people say to me is that as a as a result of no longer having a commute they don't have that reflection time because I think much as most people hated their commute, it was, I don't think we realised how much sitting in the car or sitting on a train or whatever it is, whatever your way of getting to work, there was that thinking time, wasn't there, of what am I going to do today? And and on the way home, thinking about what can I do differently? And we would mull over challenges that we'd got or, or whatever. How, what would your recommendation be to people who, no longer have a commute but perhaps haven't considered that reflection time that I'm hearing is so much intrinsic part of the way that you work 
Yeah, and and my big thing with the with traveling less, which I do travel a lot less now, was I miss listening to podcasts like this because that would be my default on the way to the office, on the way back from the office. I'd listen to a podcast and that that was really good in terms of personal development for me. And I think this links into boundaries. So I think, and again, this links into confidence. So have the confidence to set the boundaries. And if your commute used to be from, I don't know, 8 a.m. till 8.30, pop in your calendar from 8 a.m. till 8.30 that that is your reflective time. And um, perhaps that's when you'll sit and have some breakfast or perhaps you'll take a walk outside for that half an hour or you might do a yoga class. Um, So do something within the time that you would commute that isn't logging on to your emails and and starting the day blindly or or perhaps at the end of the day it works just as well or both ideally if you can Um, and and it is having those boundaries and saying that is the time that I'm going to do that and actually that makes me more productive so that's why I'm doing it and that's why it's a a perfectly valid half hour in my working day to have ring fenced. It's so important isn't it and you know the number of people that that tell me they're on back-to-back zoom calls from you know, 8am till whatever time at night and and that they don't have that space to reflect because, of of course, by the time the kids are home from school, then there's all chaos going on in in the home. So there isn't, it it is very difficult, isn't it, to actually take your time out. How how do you create space for you? I think, again, this links. So a lot of people think with confidence, it's about learning to do things, learn to get on your feet and give a presentation, learn to give a good interview, learn to speak up. It's equally about learning to say no and learning not to do the things you don't want to do. Um, And when my mum read the book, she won't mind me telling you that was the thing that struck for her. So since she's read it, she she says no to things that she might have on autopilot for her 60 odd years just said yes to. Um, So I think that is the first thing, you know, really empower yourself to identify where your boundaries are and and learn polite because you can do it very politely Um, and we encourage this within our business you know we speak to the team because we do have a lot of meetings there's there's an awful lot going on in our sector as as you've mentioned and the media focus and the consumer focus on the back of COP26 in in Glasgow has, has accelerated and amplified all of that so we could spend 24 hours a day as comply direct employees consuming information reading information responding to requests um, but we have to be realistic and so we empower the team to, to say if a meeting doesn't require their involvement perhaps or, or doesn't fit in with their schedule then speak up and say I can't attend that one you know we can record zoom meetings we can record teams meetings we can send the notes and the minutes on to the relevant people not everyone has to be at every single meeting about a particular topic so I think it is about being clever which bits do really need your there's certain meetings in my day that really do need my input and I'm aware of those and I attend them but the ones that don't I lead by example and I step back and I say guys I'm going to leave this to you but I'm here if you need me and I will read the minutes or I will catch the recording and, and give you my insights thereafter. I think that's I think that's so important and actually what you're what you're speaking to is that that confidence to say no which so few people have because it's and I think women, I think women are often worse at this than than men because girls are always told to, you know, it's not polite to say no. And um, and I think so. I don't, I don't know if you find that, but I, I certainly found in my, in my work that women 
find it harder to say no than than men do. But I I think, as you say, in a, in a 24 hour day, we need to have time for family, for sleep, for our personal lives. <laughs> And yeah. with, an, with an always switched on mentality and technologically connected all of the time, that ability to know and hold those bounds, to say no and hold those boundaries, I think it's more, more crucial than it ever was. And yet it's, it's a, it requires the confidence to, to say no and to realise that actually that's okay. Yeah. And, and adapting that style to the various people that you work with as well which again I I know um, very much is within the realm of of the sphere that you work in is being able to sort of read communication styles and understand what people need and you you do have to be quite alert because some people might find it easier to say no to a colleague than they would their boss for example so you've, you've got to work on that relationship with your boss so that you can help them understand what's going on in your day and um, help them understand what is best for you so that when you do say no it's going to land well Mm. and it's going to land with the intent which is always to be I'm I'm sure you know the vast majority of employees come into work to do the best they can do and and be the best they can be I I wholeheartedly believe that and I think it's, it's a cultural thing within business so we're very proud at Comply Direct we've just been through our um, B Corp kind of pre-certification. So B Corp is, is a framework to um, really force businesses to treat people and planet with the same regard as businesses have treated profit um, in, in years gone by. So we're making a real commitment to that. And I think that's a clear signal to mm. our people that you are as important as the bottom line. So what matters to you matters to us and matters to the future of the business. Um, therefore, it will hopefully empower them to feel confident in saying no to the boss, for, for example. And do you think that that requires different different skills of leaders then now in that um, instead of just focusing on the bottom line and being an accountant and, and having a vision, and I'm, and I'm not belittling any, any business that does that because the complexity of it is way more than just being an accountant, but... But do you think it requires different leadership skills then to have that sensitivity to um, make, how do you make decisions that benefit people and benefit the climate as well as generate a profitable business? Like, what, what, what sort of skills do you think on, are going to be needed to, to make that switch for people? I think this is all about emotional intelligence and awareness and understanding that you know we as as the custodian of a business yes you're responsible for ensuring that business is viable (laughs) and so with that comes you have to make money you have to cover your costs and employees need that they've got mortgages to pay they need that your customers need that because they need an infrastructure um, that, that provides the values and, and the services and to them at, at the right price um, your suppliers need that so the whole supply chain needs that that profit piece but i think you need to be forward thinking enough and brave enough comes back to confidence to actually stand by your your ethics and your values and say you know people and planet are just as important so when I'm making a strategic business decision of course I'm factoring in the financial implications 
but I'm also factoring in, in equal measure, the environmental implications and the implications on my people. Um, and if, if you get into the habit of that, I, I truly believe the businesses of the future that do well will be those that get into the habit of that holistic decision making. And it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because, I mean, you're, you're obviously speaking the, the language that I live and live and breathe on a daily basis. But we've, we've talked about emotional intelligence for decades, haven't we? Yeah. And yet here we are still in currently in 2021 at the time of recording that we're still having debates about what the right thing is to do for the planet, what the right thing is to do for people um, and how we generate a profit. Other than confidence, what other qualities do you think it requires for us to to lead in a in a new way? Integrity, I would say, is is a big one as well. So, um, you know, setting out your plan and and sticking to it and keeping keeping your word. And and if circumstances come about where where you can't stick to the plan, which they will, because as we've discussed, we live in a in a topsy-turvy world more so than ever before. And circumstances beyond our control will always come and slap us around the face out of the blue. And I think the the integrity part is when that happens, you hold your hands up, you're honest about what's happened and you find a better way. So at Comply Direct, our, um, our, our kind of strap line is providing commercial and environmental benefits by always finding a better way. So every employee and, and every team member, and it extends to suppliers as, as well, um, is committed to finding that better way. It's continuous improvement, isn't it? And it's never being satisfied and saying, yes, we're successful now, we've made it. It's always been on a journey. And there's, there's a, again, it comes back to confidence, doesn't it? Because in order to demonstrate integrity and, and, um, and, and stand up for what you believe in, it takes the confidence again, doesn't it? To be able to go out on a limb and to say, actually, that's not working or we did that wrong and we've learned from that and now we're going to do it differently. That, again, it comes back to the confidence, doesn't it? It does. It does. And, and it comes back to close relationships as well. So relationships with the people that you work with are so important and that mutual respect of one another and all going after one common goal. And if you can bring your customers and suppliers on and your partners, if, if you have them on, on that journey as well, then I think you'll find that an easier ride, but it's about setting out that clear vision and setting out what your values are and people who are attracted to those will be working with you. And, and those who, who aren't, they'll be doing something else. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what keeps you awake at night, Sarah? Oh, lots of things, you know, but presently the the urgency and the significance of um climate change and keeping um you know the temperature at which our, our planet earth is, is warming below um anything catastrophic you know that genuinely I, I worry about the future generations um more um from a business point of view it is the things that we've just discussed it's are we doing the best that we can for the for the people are we doing the best that we can for profits are we doing the best that we can for, for the planet as well 
Um, but I must say on a side note, a couple of years now I've had, I know a lot of people have a morning routine and successful people have a morning routine and routine, sorry, and they get up at five and they have a, a routine that they plan to. I have a nighttime one. So um, that's my reverse engineered version of that is every evening I will have some downtime I've got a nice um diffuser that I put some essential oils in you know I keep my room really really tidy so there's no distractions I read of an evening and I tend to read something positive um a journal of an evening and that for me as, as a side note that's been a real help to controlling my sleep because sleep's hugely important I think to functioning so I'll, I do like to get eight hours a night and, and have my little bedtime routine to support that fantastic Sarah I think we could talk all day but thank you so much for your time oh thank you Jude it's been a pleasure thank you for having me I love how Sarah brings everything back to confidence because at our heart we're all ethical and responsible and want to do great work we often know what we want to say and do but when things get tricky we can so easily get pushed off course and modify our behavior based on other people's expectations or what we think those expectations are True collaboration is when we have the confidence to show up fully with what we think and feel and work through differences of opinion that may exist with others. Where are you holding back? What differences of opinion need to be resolved? Trust in your self-confidence and show up fully today. You might even surprise yourself. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. Please share it with someone else so we can collectively inspire each other to rethink leadership in the world. If you'd like more information on leading teams through fast-paced change, you can download a report from www.jude.team. That's it for this week. I was your host, Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature. Until next week, keep leading and I'll be back soon with another interview on Rethinking Leadership.